good morning. Uh, great to be with you here at The Well. My name is Aaron Stritzel. As we jump in, continue on our sermon series, Not That Kind of Christian. Today we're going to talk about faith and science. And as we do, I just wanted to read a little <coughs> letter that I got recently. It was, uh, I'm not going to read the whole letter, uh, but it was addressed to our church and the, the pastor of the church here that I pastor. Um, this woman names her name and kind of shares a little bit about her situation. She, she writes this. She's like, I am a single mom with five kiddos at home. I've been homeschooling my kids for years, but after I was recently divorced, my ex-husband, hus- my ex-husband court ordered me to put our three boys that we have together into public school. One child is too young. One child through God's miracle. I'm allowed to teach this year at home, but another child is eight must attend school. And she names him as a very intelligent and independent child. He's amazing and a gift. He attended Three Forks Public School last year, which, by the way, is the the school that my kids attend, which I thought was kind of ironic and funny. It was very frustrating. Because of COVID, I was not allowed on campus at all, and certainly not into his classroom. I have no idea what he was taught. I won't extol the grievances many of us as Christians have with our public school system. We are all aware of the ideological problems. As important as those issues are, my primary concern is for my son's salvation. He takes authority figures very seriously. If his teacher tells him that the world was created with a big bang, he will believe them. I can argue it, but the teacher will be the authority and the one he listens to. This is very dangerous, and I'm very afraid that if I leave my son in the system, I will lose his soul. So perhaps you've come in contact with Christians like that, that are very skeptical, anti-science. Or perhaps you've come into people who aren't of faith and they're wondering, like, what, what is Christians' deal with science and how come they don't accept it? There is a gap. We, we know there's 98% of scientists, for example, that believe in human evolution, that we have evolved over time. But if you look at the slide here, that second line, white evangelical Protestants, there's 38. This Pew Research Center, the survey was done in 2018. There was 38% of white evangelicals that disagreed with scientists. In fact, actually, a lot of people aren't all always aware of what scientists teaches, but 38% of white evangelicals believe that humans existed in their present form, that we were created in the way we are. Why is there such a gap between what scientists believe and teach and then what some people of faith? believe? The answer is pretty simple. The answer really comes back to how people understand the Bible. The, the reality is some people are taught to read the Bible literally from the very young age or, or informed by others or they just bring their own um, kind of lenses through the two to the, to the text. And what they'll do then is they'll reject anything that doesn't align with their beliefs because Oftentimes, people of faith are taught that the Bible is their sole authority. So we come back to the Bible, and they're not taught all the nuances about the lenses and ways to interpret. They're just taught it's the Bible itself. So they're quick to reject anything that doesn't align with their beliefs. So I wanted to talk about this idea, which is an idea that we all struggle with to some extent. Maybe not faith and science, but it's the idea that we all tend to seek out information that confirms our beliefs. This is called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias is the tendency to process information by looking for or interpreting information that is consistent with one's beliefs. This is why 
you'll be headed to the movies and you'll bump into somebody, a friend, and if you share some movie interests or similar perspectives and they're like, oh, it wasn't that great, you will go into the movie already being skewed thinking this isn't a good movie, right? We've all been there. We've all done that, right? Or somebody will introduce you and say, hey, this person's kind of a jerk and you'll introduce yourself already looking for cues or things that will align with what somebody already said. Um, Here's some other examples of confirmation bias. Um, Not seeking out objective facts, interpreting information to support your existing beliefs, only remembering details that uphold your beliefs, and ignoring information that challenge your beliefs. This is why somebody can hear something from um, somebody they trust about vaccines. And then when they go to do more research, what are they going to Google? They're not going to Google why vaccines are important. They're going to start Googling why vaccines are a scam or why vaccines are unhealthy, right? Somebody shares something, a trusted friend or, or, or somebody in their religious circle even more that's like, oh, I don't believe in wearing masks and this is why it doesn't helpful. What are they going to go Google? Why masks don't work. Right? This is also why interpreting information to support your existing beliefs, why, I don't know, I saw people do this where they were like, look it, so-and-so was vaccinated and they got COVID, so the vaccine doesn't work, right? <laughs> um, so-and-so was wearing a mask everywhere. They got COVID, so masks aren't helpful. It's highly subjective and it's even logical at times, our confirmation bias. Again, it doesn't matter if you're conservative or more progressive, what political or religious ideology you have, we all have a confirmation by this tendency to seek out information that confirms what we already believe. Um, If you want kind of a humorous example of this, uh, if you haven't seen the Netflix film, Don't Look Up, you you can check that out. And it kind of, it portrays, um, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but when we're talking about COVID and a global pandemic and kind of the environmental crisis, which is more of the focus of this movie, it really reflects in kind of overly blatant ways how people can just reject clear evidence to support what they have already come to believe. And um, it takes a lot more for us to shift our beliefs. Once we have something in place, it's comfortable for us to find information and to see information. Kind of, It kind of highlights it and pulls it out to confirm it. And it's more comfortable and more difficult for us to accept information that challenges these beliefs. So when it comes to faith and science, Some people of faith have already made assumptions about what the Bible is and what the Bible is not. And a lot of the reason there's this gap between faith and science is because people believe the Bible is to be read literally, and it's the sole authority for their faith. Um, So let's talk a little bit about what the Bible is not. In, In his book, Making Sense of the Bible, Adam Hamilton, who's a Methodist pastor in Kansas City, says four things. The Bible is not an owner's manual, because we only check that when things break down. It's not basic instructions before leaving Earth. It's not a book on systematic theology, because then we'd all agree that's not really how it functions. And lastly, and kind of the most important thing for us today, is not a scientific textbook. And then he writes this, when the Bible is read while holding these assumptions, the reader will at some point become confused, misguided, or profoundly disappointed. I might add, 
some of the readers who are really seeking and diving in may become disappointed or frustrated. But some people, they'll, they'll again, find ways to confirm their bias. Um, we'll just take the creation stories really quickly. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Two different creation stories in here, and they don't align. In Genesis 1, we read that God created humans after everything else. In Genesis 2, God created humans before everything else. Genesis 1, God created man and woman at the same time. But in Genesis 2, God created man first, then animals, then women. In Genesis 1, God spoke and everything came into existence. Genesis 2, God had to work to create humans. Took a rib from Adam's side to create woman. In Genesis 1, God was greatly pleased after finishing creation. But in Genesis 2, God banishes humans from the garden. I was recently talking to somebody who's a former Mormon, and they were like, man, the Bible is full of contradictions. And then when I approached some of our leaders, uh, they just found all of these loopholes and ways. And he's like, what was clear to me wasn't clear to them. I mean, he left the faith and probably for other reasons as well. Um, but some people struggle and they're like, I was always taught the Bible is this way. I don't see the Bible that way. And I'm expected to see the Bible that way then I must not be a person of faith. But as people of faith, I think it's vital that we understand what the Bible is and what it is not. So if it's not a scientific textbook, if it was never meant to, it's, it's not that the authors were tricking us, it's that they never intended it to be a scientific textbook. It, they never intended, that wasn't their focus, is on 100% historical accuracy. I like Rob Bell's answer to this in the book, What is the Bible? He says, the Bible is a book about what it means to be human. So simple, right? It's about a book about what it means to be human. Have you ever felt or asked the question, why are we here? What is the point of this? Where do we come from? Does God exist? God create us. Does God have a dream or a hope or a purpose for our lives? How do we figure this out? Why is there evil and injustice and violence in our world? Why is there sadness and pain and suffering? And, and have you ever felt lost or confused? These are questions that humans have been wrestling with because this is what it means to be human. And in parts of the Bible, they might have had a different worldview, a different cosmology. I, I mean, in a lot of the Bible, especially the Old Testament, we see that God closed up the womb of, of women so they could not bear children. And at that time, God acted anything that happened, any rain that came, God sent the rain. Anytime there wasn't rain, there was drought for some reason, right? Now today, when somebody comes up to me as a pastor and says, I'm having a hard time getting pregnant, I'm not going to say, well, what did you do wrong, right? God is cursing you for some reason. No, I'm not going to say that, right? Because I don't believe that's how the world operates and that I don't believe that's how God operates. I have a different understanding of God and theology. And part of this, um, well, it gives us more freedom when we understand the Bible this way. It gives us more nuance. We can look at things through different ways. But I want to talk here for the last uh, third of our time together about this idea of growing up. I've been reading a lot of uh, from books and articles specifically more from depth psychology or from a psychological lens about the importance and the need, the dire need for us as a human race to grow up, that we live in a very immature, some might call it an adolescent culture. Like we 
chronologically might have adults, but we don't have mature um, psychological adults, and I would say spiritual as well. I mean, uh, what do children do? Right? <clears throat> we have kids, they're going through adolescence right now, uh, which is all kinds of fun and new terrain for my wife and I. So sometimes we ask them to do something and they say, no, I don't want to do that. Um, sometimes they'll throw a temper tantrum, right? Um, some people don't like to be told what to do. And we've seen this play out during a pandemic, right? So you want me to wear a mask? No, I'm not going to wear a mask, right? Uh, we've probably heard about that story of the, the uh, 29-year-old gentleman that was flying back uh, or flying from Ireland on that he was asked to wear a mask dozens of times, but he refused and he eventually pulled down his pants like like a full-on child temper tantrum, right? I mean, if you read uh, the New York Times article post, it says, man exposes his buttocks and throws a drink. Like, you're like, what is going on with people? Like, this is a grown man. Like, act your age, right? But we see so much of this happen in our lives. And I would say we, we need spiritually mature faith that is mature. When you teach a six-year-old the story of Adam and Eve, just take this for example. When you teach a six-year-old the story of Adam and Eve, you might be able to throw a little bit of nuance that's suggestive that it might not be a literal story. But chances are they're just going to take it as a little. They're going to imagine Eve as a woman, Adam as a man, and God as another human figure of some sort. They're going to imagine that. Now here's the issue is that when in their 20s and 30s and 40s, they're not told and, and informed and helped to understand the story differently. They have the same faith. They, they, they understand God and everything the same way, right? Um, you could say, look at math. Like we don't teach first graders trigonometry. We teach them basics. One plus one equals two. And then you begin to build on the nuances of these things, right? You grow into that. So what we have done is we've neglected spiritual growth for sort of a, a childish adolescent faith that rejects science. So, so mature faith will embrace science, but so many people will reject it, again, partially because of their confirmation bias. But then as we grow we might look at the Adam and Eve story differently and, and say, well, science teaches that we have evolved over time. And so how do we understand this story? And, oh, there's two different creation stories. What are they trying to portray? What is the context here, right? How do I understand the Adam and Eve story? I might ask different questions. I, I might ask, have you ever felt close to God? Have you ever felt like you were walking with God or you felt God's presence? Uh, recently, we were in Yellowstone Park because it's only a couple hour drive from where we, where we live and we spent the night outside of it so we could get there before the sun rose. And I remember driving up this, this um, ridge and all of a sudden we peek it and it's still dark but the, it's starting to get light a little bit, you know, the, the horizon's lighting up a little and we peek the hill and you see the moon and it's a crescent moon but you can see the outline of the whole moon, right? And you can see the crescent part and because the sun's coming up, it is like bright reflecting off of there. And of course, you, you have the star uh, Jupiter 
uh, out there, I think it's Jupiter. Somebody might know and be like, nah, you're wrong. Guess again. Uh, but you just come over this hill and you're just like blown away. And you're just like, this is like palpable presence here. Uh, I always uh, find God's presence to be most palpable in nature. Right? Um, have you ever heard the, the, the serpent whisper in your ear? Have you ever walked out of Walmart and realized, oh, they didn't charge you for this $3.99 item? And you're like, they're just a, they make millions of dollars every day. Who cares? Just keep walking, right? We've heard that whisper in here. Have you ever been tempted to do something you knew what was wrong, right? Tempted to grab a hold of that forbidden fruit. Have you ever done something you knew wasn't the best? Have you ever felt naked and exposed and ashamed, right? We know what Adam and Eve felt like. We've felt that way. We've also very likely felt what it, felt like to be covered when we felt that full of shame to kind of be covered to ex be extended that grace from somebody else or something else right see we we shift our understanding of these stories but they're still meaningful because they're stories about what it means to be human in his book, Jungian analyst, uh, Dr. James Hollis, his newest book, uh, The Broken Mirror, he describes what it means to be a spiritually mature person. He writes this. He says, any mature philosophy of life or mature spirituality will lead us away from security into the realm of mystery. Just as mature psychology of life will ask of us, a mature spirituality will be measured by our capacity to tolerate and function within what I call the triple A's, ambiguity, ambivalence, and anxiety. So it leads us away from security into mystery. That doesn't mean in the sense of it leads you away from security and rejecting signs. But what I think it's getting at is a mature spirituality, a mature faith will, will understand there's limits to faith. Some, some people call it like pre-rational and trans-rational. You understand that science cannot actually confirm or deny if God exists. It can't show, show you. It, it also can't tell you what happens when you die, right? There's limits here. There, there's some mystery in things like quantum physics and, and other things that are like really kind of mind-blowing, but science has its limits. It doesn't speak very much to the soul in a way that, you know, have you ever read a poem that just speaks to your soul and something is awoken in you, right? But there's limits to poetry, right, as well. And so we open ourselves up to science, but we also understand there, there's limits to science as well. And so we're, we're rational thinking people that want to embrace science, and yet mature spirituality takes us beyond. And it says this, you will never have a full understanding. You can never grasp God and God's fullness. God is mystery. And so while we wrestle with that, while we might take and look at these uh, stories and understandings of God in different ways, uh, it, it might open our mind, but it's not a box or a container. An immature ego, I think we all have an ego, and I don't think an ego is wrong. Um, I used to see this a little bit differently, but I, I, I see it as an immature ego desires certainty and control. And a mature ego understands there's so much beyond our control. You could show up to work on Monday and realize and be told you lost your job. You could, in a week or two, go to the hospital and they 
tell you the news, and I don't mean to sound morbid, that you have a terminal illness. Like there's so much outside of our control. Our mature ego leans into what James Hollis calls the three A's, right? The ambiguity, ambivalence, and anxiety, right? It leans into that. An immature spirituality can only find rest when it has the correct answers. This is partially why people too, the confirmation bias, looked at science because science was on display during the pandemic and that things changed, right? They, they had certain recommendations and then they adjusted, which actually we should take from science into our faith. Uh, science with forms a hypothesis, then it tests it, then it comes back and it doesn't cling to its hypothesis. It will change it if it's like, oh, we realize that's not true. And then as things have grown, as we've seen different variants and different things happen, we also come back and we do more testing and science is open to adjusting and changing, right? This should be our faith. None of us have a complete 100% or probably even remotely close to understanding of faith. We're growing and changing and evolving and testing hypothesis and coming back and saying, oh, I used to think this way. I was so wrong, right? I mean, there's things that I said 20 years ago that I would never come out of my mouth today, right? That I believed certain things about God that I definitely do not believe today. I suspect there's things 20 years from now that I will look back and be like, I can't believe I said that. Like, and I can't believe that was recorded on whatever, you know, at the well, right? Oh my gosh. And now, now, now we have it on video and I'm like, no, please don't. Right. But the point is faith is meant to be dynamic. It's not static. Right. So we embrace science in a way that I think informs our faith by being open, by being curious. See, immature spirituality, can only find rest when it feels like it has the correct answers and it feels like other people line up. But a mature spirituality invites us to live into the questions. I want to read a quote from Rainer Maria Rolke. You've probably heard it before. It's one of my favorites. He writes this. He says, be patient towards all that is unresolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a foreign language, do not now seek the answers which cannot be given you because you would not be able to live them. And that, that is the point, to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live along some distant day into the answers. So I love this quote because it's the balance of questions and answers, of living into it, but not, not asking questions. So we ask those questions of faith and we're open to those questions of science and we embrace all those and we understand there's limits. There's things we don't know that we might know in the future. So we live into the questions, knowing that really it's not about answering all the answers. It's actually about living into those questions. It's about journeying. Asking those questions invites us deeper into the journey. When a person when a person of faith pits faith against science, it's an immature faith. We need to grow up. We need to be able to embrace the nuances of stories in the Bible, the nuances of our lives, embrace faith and also recognize it has its limits. The Dalai Lama was once asked, 
what he would do when if he was presented with facts from science that contradicted some of his beliefs and he just simply said well i would change my beliefs right i mean this is the humility of mature faith and i think or like to think that jesus would respond in a similar way if he was presented with that question i want to end with a text from philippians um, the, the author of Philippians who writes about what, what I've come to understand is really healthy spirituality at its core and what I think Jesus was embodying here. Philippians 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and found him and being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. See, I think a healthy spirituality lets go of that need for control, humbles himself, empties, lets go, releases, surrenders those things, and is willing to embrace. I used to think that word obey, right? Obey, that Jesus came to die on the cross and he obeyed that. But I think Jesus came to teach us what it means to be fully human, to teach us the kingdom of God, to embody that. And I think it became very clear at some point, I don't know when in his life, where that was going to head, that his teaching was um, was subverting the powers and the principalities and that he knew somehow he was going to wind up dead and wrestled with that even on the cross or or before the cross while he was praying he said god if there's any other way take this cup from me but not my will but yours be done in essence i think my interpretation of that is there was something within him that was calling and compelling him to keep going even though he knew it was going to be incredibly difficult and painful not because he had to do it or else god would punish him but because there was this conviction in him and it was pulling him. It was the inner voice. It was the spirit within leading him to that place. Let's pray. Creator, help us to embrace our minds and our intellect. Help us to become aware of our own confirmation biases as they arise, to become more conscious of it, to see it, see the ways that we seek out information that just agrees with us and that we are quicker to disregard information that doesn't confirm what we believe. Help us to be more humble, also coupled with critical thinking and questioning and a sort of healthy skepticism. Let us be wise in our discerning and open to mystery. Through Christ we pray. Amen.